first introduction of Flesh and Blood was the UPF. I do see one problem with uh, these judge promos. Welcome back to another episode of the Win and It podcast. This is episode 38. I'm going to be your host today, Gabe. Sadly, Eric is not with us, but hopefully the next one we will get him. He loves you all, so it's all going to work out great. But today we are graced with the presence of a new special guest. That's going to be Kugani Gaming or Dennis. How are we doing today, my friend? I'm doing really good. Thank you for having me, by the way. I was really oh. excited. Last time we spoke, I was still in Vietnam, so we had to delay the podcast by a month, I believe, but we finally get to do it, and I'm excited for it. So, Oh, man, I agree completely. That's, that's one of the cool things about Fab is you're able to connect with people all around the world and just have great conversations about a shared interest of a game we love. And so I'm just really excited we're able to make it work because we live on different sides of the globe. It's morning for me, evening for you. It's just... Man, it's always exciting. And if there's one thing they should figure out to fix is to make the whole world one universal time zone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't agree. know how they would be able to fix that, but I think when it comes to events and stuff, especially online events, it's uh, it's a bit problematic sometimes when the time zones differ that much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, there's been a few times where I've definitely got confused myself with a meeting or something, and. I go to call someone and they're like, hey, dude, that's tomorrow. I'm like, oh, man, you're a day ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just the way it runs. But um, and this week in Flesh and Blood, we've had a lot of kind of fun things happening. Uh, pre-release was last week. That was exciting. We loved it. This week was release week. So that was actually last Friday. So or not last Friday. Yesterday. Today is Saturday when we're recording this. And I got out, I played some new games, got my hands on some of the cards. Were you able to get any product yourself on release day? Uh, I managed to get myself the round the table set, and that's about it for now. Nice. I think for this set, I'm going to stick to singles, because I already have my Mechanologist decks, and when you have 300 Mechanologist cards, there's only going to be like 20 or 30 useful ones for a deck, so... I'm probably going to be sticking with, for sing with singles for this particular set, but... It's shaping up very nicely. And for anyone out there, like we did our pre-release and we used six packs instead of four. And it was such a great experience. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think it's always, like you said, going for singles is always probably one of the better ideas, especially just because how high prices can start. And that's like just the amount of like money you'd have to put into open X amount of boxes to get the actual playable cards, um, especially with the pre-release pricing too, because we know how... <laughs> it can start really expensive and then if you wait a couple weeks more hits to supply more hits to market and you're actually able to buy them at decent rates kind of where they land um is there any card like you're hunting down yourself right away for like a deck you want to build or anything well i the one thing that i would really like to have is the light warrior legendary i forgot the name already but it's the one that lets you charge and draw a card warband of bologna that... Yeah, Warp and Blown, I think that one is going to be very important for Bolton specifically. So that's like my, my dream chase card in this set at the moment. All right. And I mean, then th other than that, I guess some very generic yeah, Mechanologist stuff. Um, I'm boring. I play Boost Mechanologist. I, I, I don't need to play Control or <laughs> with Big Macs. I just want to keep on boosting and have fun with that. I mean, yeah, I agree. I think boosting, I mean, that's the way I like playing mechs. I'm not as much of a mechanologist player, but it's like, it's pretty just play your cards and you do what they do and you don't have to think of too much, too much other crazy things. So I agree. Um, I think with this new format, with the new cards hitting the fray, 
there's going to be maybe some come out decks. I know that you already came out with like a max deck and a Teclavasan deck. I was wondering, do you have like a dash deck in the brewing in the works or where, where do you kind of stand with those new heroes? So with the new heroes at the moment, I did build a dash deck for Blitz specifically. I've shared that with my patrons already. I will probably be making a video about that sometime next week or so. I'm not sure if dash has changed all that much in CC. I guess there are some cards that are more optimal versus the stuff that she had before, like something that uh, has a higher payoff if she were to play it naturally. But I think the general game plan for most dash decks, at least locally, I see mostly control dash players. I don't think there hasn't been all that much. Maybe the block cards, like the firewall card, can be quite good. But other than that, I think that's about it. Maybe the Evos could be good because they really play into a control strategy. And then uh, what about Dash.io? Do you have anything cooking with them? Uh, that I haven't really tried yet. I was talking with my patrons the other day about this well because I I tried to keep updating the Warrior and the Ninja decks and then I've already been working on Teclavos and Max. And I just told them, like, you know what, uh, Dash.io, it looks very interesting and I'm sure there's something broken to be found in all of this but uh, i'll leave that up for somebody smarter than me so <laughs> yeah I, I can't argue that That's, hey i'm in the same boat almost every release for all the heroes i'm like i'll just wait till someone wins an event and then i'll look into them so i uh that's valid <laughs> um, but i think with dash io it's going to be difficult because you want to have a lot of items in your deck and at the same time the items don't block so I think for Blitz, it's almost impossible to build that hero. But for CC, since you have a little bit of a window where it's okay to not block as much that it's maybe viable, there has to be something in there. Because a lot of the new items have a very high value for for the, the playing cost. Like most of them are like four value each, which is really high. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think... Well, just like you even said, like probably not that playable in Blitz. We'll just go back to that. Like they have, they're starting at lower life even too. It's like not that they only can't block, but also at lower life. So it's just <laughs> it can feel bad. But yeah, I agree. CC might have a little bit of potential just with how that's going to work out. Um, another thing. So talking about the new heroes in this new set because it's now legal. We can now bring them to our tournaments, love them, play them, whatever you want to do. Um, there's actually some battle hardness going on this weekend. There's going to be battle hard in Toulouse. I think Tokyo just had theirs. I think that was Blitz. And then I also believe Battle Hard in Milwaukee is also taking place today. Um, the only one I have like actual like a little bit of data I was able to find for is Battle Hard in Toulouse. And out of the 96 players that are attending, sorry if I'm pronouncing Toulouse wrong. I could also I should state that to begin with. Um, there is only one new hero from the set in this 96 player tournament, and that's going to be Teclo Vossen. So I thought that was interesting. I thought that was exciting that someone was like, I'll bring him day one. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's quite hard for people to get all the cards together so soon, right? So I think most, usually with these new heroes, it's going to take like two or three weeks before they start popping up in, in bakery events. So it's quite interesting to see that somebody <laughs> somehow managed to get everything together and already bring it, bring it to a big event. Yeah, but I, I think Teclavasa really has potential. Like it's, okay. it's super weak against Kano, but oh man, when that thing pops off. Okay, so uh, Teclavasa has potential. Tell, tell tell us why you think it has potential. Where where do you think the legs truly stand? 
Well, the thing is you can constantly create uh, more value than you put out, how to say. Like, it costs you less cards to get, gain more value. If you put your ethos on the field, it's like an instant five value there, assuming you want to keep them there to put something else on top of that. And you're not wasting cards. So I think for pure fatigue strategies, like a very defensive Teclofasten in CC, it can be very efficient. And then you still have your big payoff with your singularity in the, at the end of it all. So I do think that Teclofasten is going to be quite viable, but it has some silver bullets already, like in the form of Kano and such. Like you can't really have a proper arcing barrier plan and the games take too long for you to win against a Kano deck, I would assume. So I'm not yeah. sure. Like I think it might create a situation where we get a little bit of a, a meta wheel turning kind of thing, where Teclavarsen becomes super popular and then people start bringing Kano decks to counter the Teclavarsen. And then once Kano is popular, then maybe we see Agro decks again just completely slaughtering the Kano. So, uh, I love the way that sounds. Trust me, I think, I, think that, I think that meta sounds like a lot of fun. That's, I could get behind that without a doubt. So then, I guess, do, we, do you think there's potential for Max? And if we think there's potential for Teclavarsen, I would totally agree. He has a really cool shell. What about Max? Especially if Lexi LLs and loses a place as the most aggressive hero. I think for Max specifically, the thing that that deck does well is you can very easily boost for 4 or 5 damage. Waste one card with uh, boosting that away. But then you create your hyperdriver, you Banksy after that, so you have a constant 6, 7, 8 value with just 2 cards played, assuming the, the boost card you play and the one that you banish away. So... I do think that the deck has potential against fatigue strategies if you start with like a 67 base deck or something like that. The one thing that does worry me about the deck though is if you're playing with the Banksy and you end in that end game scenario where you cannot boost anymore, you will not be able to create hyper drivers. And if you don't crank anything, you can also not attack with the Banksy. So. It's it's a bit double-sided. Like, I've played a lot of max games in CC, and for the most part, you don't really end up in that end game. Like, you can sustain yourself enough and keep on piercing some damage here and there that you can win your games eventually. But the deck is also quite weak against uh, very heavy combo-centric decks. Like, if you're up against a fight that Art of Wars on turn 3, you're not, being, you're not able to catch up with that kind of value. So, it... It's going to depend how the meta is going to shape up in the next couple of months, but I do think Max has some potential to be a good hero, but people need to play him very patiently. If you play him by just boosting, 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 and then hitting with your weapon, you're wasting too many cards in your deck and you're getting too little value in return. So I think there's more like a block with two cards, attack with two cards kind of hero. Yeah, no, I... I, I would agree. I, I haven't played too much Max myself. I played him like a little bit in pre-release. I haven't even built a deck yet online with it. Like I know that's some people would frown upon me for that, but no, I think I mean that's viable. What you said makes sense. I the couple games I played, I could totally see that. That's how I played it in pre-release, where I wasn't just to the wall with it. So I agree. I think so. Talking about the decks, CCs, they're doing well. Especially what made me think of this is when you're talking about five with Art of War at these events. There's the new judge packs distributed. I don't know if you've seen the new judge packs. Have you? I've seen them. I've okay. seen them. <laughs> They're crazy. So at these battle hardens, um, the new judge pack to the waves are going into the judge's hands. 
Um, and I don't know if you guys have heard before. We'll just assume you guys never heard of a judge pack. What that is is it's a compensation for a judge when he uh, does a tournament, does work, so on, goes to events, callings, um, even conferences and whatever have you. Uh, LSS gives them a pack like, hey, thank you for helping out. And this pack will have six random cards um, out of like a six card pool. So it's like one out of six, you'll pull, go figure. And they're cold foil. Like last season, some of the notable ones was like cold foil Therion. There was cold foil Arclight Sentinel, some sweet cards. And they, what was it? Five days ago, they released what's going to be in the new packs. Um, they released three of them. We knew about Fate for Scene, Smash and Good Time, and then Proclamation of Abundance. But there's still three cards we didn't know about. And so that I know there's a lot of anticipation and hype this upcoming weekend just to figure out what those other three cards are because judges are going to be opening packs so we're going to find out. And we found out Vincent Iron Maiden is in their cold foil, Last Ditch Effort cold foil, and then the cherry on top, the fire lovers are going to love it like we were just talking about. Art of War cold foil is in that. What are your first what are your first thoughts on that? Well, when I first saw it, the, the first thing that went through my mind when I saw it is like, oh, cool, that's really going to help judges to make their, their work work well, because these things are probably going to be selling for at least a couple of hundred dollars, I would imagine. So oh, yeah. I think it's really cool that they figured out a way to, in a way, they create artificial scarcity by making sure that these things only go to the judges. And then the judges can sell these to earn a decent income for all the efforts because a lot of time and effort goes into flying all over the world. Like some people even have to pretty much commit to it full time because you cannot keep asking your boss if you work for a company like, hey, can I take one week off? I need to go judge an event somewhere. So I think it's really cool. And also from a collective perspective, like having cards that are really hard to come by and that hold value that don't impact the game because people are able to buy the cheaper versions online for the decks if they want to play with the cards. I think it's a really cool thing. I saw some discourse here and there about Finset being in the pack as well, but I mean, come on, like people need to, well, in my opinion, people need to get out of the mindset that everything has to be for everyone. Like it's perfectly fine playing with a Rainbow Fall card in my opinion, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the card is just meant to be played at the end of the day, so I agree. I think, I think Coldplay of Vincent in this product is completely fine. As we know, Vincent's not the most playable hero in any of the formats quite yet. I mean, it's done well in Blitz, but like CC, it hasn't done too much. There is a Vincent player, though, in Battleheart and Toulouse, so best of luck to them, I'll always say that. Um, but <laughs> I, I think it'll help just even the price of the card, instead of it just going like super cheap, kind of like the Riptide Coldboil did in this last season. Um, I think it'll help with the price. They'll make it a little more like, yeah, like I said, it's more scarce to get. So it's more, it feels cooler when you get it, you know? Um, I do think though, the craziest thing that I thought about this and I've seen on Twitter and so on is the cold foil art of war, how that compares to if you own a rainbow foil first edition, have you thought much about that at all? I mean, yes and no. If we look at something like Match the Gathering, for example, like if you look at a, a first printing of like a Sheevan Dragon or whatever, like those cards still hold value to this day because it's uh, the first few sets. Mm -hmm. They are special. People collected them. So they are special because they're from that set. And I think it's going to be similar with these kind of products that 
it's a gold foil, and yes, technically that's a higher rarity than the rainbow foil, but it's not an alpha product or a first edition product in this case because it's Arcane Rising. So I suspect that the price may initially drop a little bit, and then after that we'll probably go back up again because collectors do want to finish the set. They want to have a master set of Arcane Rising first edition. So I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference in the long run. In the short run, sure, it's going to probably let the price plummet a little bit, but th that's fine. Yeah, no, I, I'm i 100% with you there. I think the first edition foils will still hold their value and price. Like you said, it might drop a little from people just getting scared, not really know what's going on, like, oh, this, whatever. Or maybe they just prefer the cold foil versionings of cards, and they're just like, oh, just switch it out, easy. But I do think, yeah, it's the first edition, it's the foil. Those packs are hard to come by. Those foils are hard to get. And so I definitely do believe those will maintain their value a lot more. So I wouldn't be too worried myself. Um, even if, like, we're talking about Alpha First Edition and down the line they start reprinting um, to even, like, a cold foil of Lightning Strike, I still, if I'm sitting down and playing against a person, I'm always going to be like, First Edition foil is cooler than, say, a Judge Promo cold foil, especially if it's, if it's an Alpha Pink. Like, that's where I'm like, that's the coolest thing there could be. So... Yeah. I mean, we had that before, no? Like, if somebody has, like, an alpha sink below, even if it's not foil or anything, you're still like, oh, wow, cool, it has a pink strip. So I, I think that that factor of, like, oh, wow, it's a, a first edition card, like, that's that's been around since the very beginning. It it just has something special to it. So I, I don't think that these colorful printings are going to do all that much in terms of collectability for the Rainbow Falls. I do know there's a lot of top players that like to bling out their decks, that go for the max rarity, and maybe right now the majority of people that are actually buying into these first edition Rainbow Falls might be actually players blinging out the deck. So maybe those players are going to not be looking into buying a Rainbow Fall out of war. That might affect um, demand a little bit. But... Yeah. I feel overall Flesh and Blood is still... We have a lot of players, but it's still a very small game in the grand scale of things, I think. Last I checked, we had like 50,000 players. If you compare that to a game like Magic that has millions and millions of players, I think. It, it's just a matter of time. Like As Flesh and Blood continues to gain popularity and continues to gather more and more players, eventually we're going to reach like those 200,000 milestones or 500,000. Eventually we will have a million players as well. I think once we're there, it, then there are going to be more people collecting and more people looking to get these kind of uh, collectible pieces. So, it'll yeah. get there. I, dude, I'm 100% agreeing with that. Like, the whole idea of the game is just keep growing and growing. And down the line, like, even these cards are like, oh, they're not that rare. We, like you said, we're at a smaller player base right now. If it ever hits the million player mark, these cards are going to be so hard to come by. So, if you have them now, I mean, it doesn't hurt to keep on to them. Um, but I guess my other thought that I had about that, like you were saying, people are trying to get the max rarity. They want the cold foils. I know I saw some people talking just that. They're like, I bought these rainbow foil first eds because they're the prettiest, coolest, best I could get. But now there's cold foils, so I'm just going to move into the cold foils instead. Where, personally, I still think the first ed foils are cooler. Actually, um, hot take, I think <laughs> rainbow foiling looks better than cold foiling for most cards. I generally think it makes a pop more, and I, I enjoy the rainbow foils a lot more. Give it, I usually buy cold foils, because I'm like, oh, cold foil heroes, you know? But 
man, I'll tell you what, half the rainbow foil heroes I think look better than the gold foil heroes. So I'm I that's my stance. <laughs> I mean I, I kind of partially agree with that. Like there's some cards where the gold foiling is even quite hard to see, but when you have the rainbow foil it really pops. So yeah. I think for collectors that love Rainbow Falls over Gold Falls, they're in a paradise in this game because all the Rainbow <laughs> Falls are super cheap. So Yeah. No, but I, I, I can see a world like but I do think people like kind of pigeonholed into believing like our ah, Gold Fall is the best thing. There's nothing better than Gold Fall. But if if people just build their own preference and they prefer Rainbow Fall over other things. I know some old school magic players from way back in the day that used to collect Rainbow Falls. They are all about Rainbow Fall printings in this game. They don't really care about Cold Fall at all because it doesn't give them the same nostalgia hit as a Rainbow Fall does. So... <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I mean, just even like, like you're talking, the Rainbow Falls from old school magic days, like 7th edition, when those came out, how glorious those were as well as even just um the older sets like was it see it's been a minute since i've looked up some of the magic cards um not urza's dynasty do you, do you remember which urza set had the the rainbow foils in it for the first time um i i don't remember it's I, I think i think it might have been before my time because i think the time i started playing it was already in the meriden block okay somewhere around kamigawa i wasn't around before that i was too much of a casual player with magic before that. Yeah, either way, if you can ever find your hands, um, it's either Dynasty or Legacy. I forget I forget which Urza set, but it's, it was one of the Urza sets. They came out with the Rainbow Foils, and the way they did the foiling on that, like you said, it's just that nostalgia hit, where sometimes I'll see these Flesh and Blood cards, and I'm like, oh man, that <laughs> that that hits the itch in my brain. So, I agree. Um, And then, I think the other funny thing about this whole Judge Pack what are, your, what are your thoughts on smashing good times? Like, are you having a good time if you pull this card? <laughs> I mean, maybe they should have just gotten, like, uh, three key cards and you get one of three instead of one of six. <laughs> and oh, <laughs> and uh, less uh, bad feels. But, I mean, if you pull a vent set instead of an Art of War, I think you're already going to feel quite disappointed. So, Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. It's just definitely awkward. You, you, there's two packs left. You get one. Your other judge buddy gets the other. You get the smash, and he gets the Ardor four. Like, yeah, that happens. But hey, then it makes hitting the Ardor feel that much better if you hit it. So, you know, give maybe it they should just consider to give judges the whole set. That maybe it's cool. a bit too much, but like they don't need to give six cards, but then just make like one or two special cards each rotation, and just mm -hmm. give them the cards as is, so there's less of a lottery aspect to it. Yeah, or even like like on that note, they could even have it where they get a pack and it's like they're kinda like randomly signed like they are, like random inside. But first event, it's random, one of six, whatever. But then whatever card they open, they kinda like denote it, and then the next event they get that they get a judge pack, maybe there's a different pool of packs that have one out of the five cards that they don't have to give it. That's way too convoluted. There's too many like working intervals to make that happen. But even like if they don't even have it as a pack, they just have like the cards in a pool and they'll randomly get assigned one of them. Where if they get six events, then they get all six cards, and then maybe after that it's all random. So it's like an incentive to keep going more. But who knows? I'm not a judge. Yeah, I would like that, but I mean with physical products kind of kind of hard to do. Yeah. If we're a digital game, it would be perfectly possible to have like a pity timer to pull certain cards, but I think it's too much for them to manage unless they set up a system that they send the prize support to the judges themselves. 
-hmm. It would cost them a little bit extra, but maybe that's the way to go. Or or they have a system that once a judge has attended X amount of events that they will get all six for sure. So if they haven't pulled it up until that point, that they will get it eventually. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, right there, that, that makes sense. 100% agreeance. But I digress. I mean, like, judge packs are sweet. Good for you. If you're a judge, congratulations. Hopefully you get the art of war. If not, just love the card. I do see one problem with uh, these judge promos, though. Mm -hmm. And, like, right now, at least within my friends' fair, there's a lot of people that now try to become a judge for the promos. Not because they love being a judge and they have love for building the community. They, they, they want to get into it for the reward. And I do worry a little bit if, in the long run, that is unhealthy for the game. It definitely could oversaturate it with, um, I guess, people not in it for the right intentions. Maybe they'll come to love judging, and then it, then it will work out. But I could see that where it's just they go in for the wrong intentions, and then the market's just saturated, and you don't get maybe the best judge to judge your event. So I don't know. That's, that's a hard one, for sure. I, I do know what you're talking about, though. I mean... That's like a running joke. Anytime I'm hanging out with some of my friends, a new judge pack, they're like a judge pro. I'm like, man, we should have been judges for this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like some of the play that's and pros are so sick. It's like, oh, yeah, I lost out. I should have just judged. <laughs> I don't know. Judging's I hard. I mean, the, the, the promos have been quite good for quite some time now with uh, all the special heroes, special weapons, etc. So, uh, yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, judging's great. I've never been one for it but who knows maybe down the line but talking about things just down the line moving moving topics i suppose that's the way to go about this is so playing like you said you play with your friends they've talked about it how is your local scene like where tell us all about where you play and kind of what that encompasses because i know you're on the different side of the world from me so you're not even in north america where i know a lot of our audience based is from but uh yeah so when it comes to our local scene it's a bit of an ebb and flow. Like it seems like the past three years or so, there has been a lot of moments where the community was growing a lot until it reaches a point where everyone becomes super competitive. And then once it's super competitive, it becomes very difficult for new players to join into the game because the skill barrier between a competitive player and a non-competitive player is quite big. And there's a lot of players out there that do not want to play poorly to give a new player a chance to win. So that has been something that we have been struggling with quite a bit, that the community becomes big and it dies off again. So right now what we're trying is we started a couple of months ago like introducing new players back into the game because our community completely died. And we started with pre-con decks that people buy a pre-con and they're not allowed to modify anything. And then after a few weeks, we allowed them to add some comments in and then some rares. And now we're at a point after five months, so it's been going for quite some time now, that people are allowed to have five Majestics in the deck and no Legendaries. And so far, it seems to be doing quite well. We have a decent show up, like usually like four to ten people doing pre-release. I think we had 12 or 13 people showing up, maybe less, maybe I'm wrong, but it's... It's doing quite well. Like, I just noticed when there's a casual outlet in Flesh and Blood, it seems to attract a lot more people than when it's just full-on competitive, always the best decks. And yeah, I it, it's, it's growing. But at the same time, it's very hard to sell the competitive side of Flesh and Blood to a larger audience. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely think 
just like you said, like it can't be too competitive to get new players in. I know that's um one really exciting thing that I think Flesh and Blood has noticed and they're trying to implement more of, especially with the new Tularean Community College UPF around the table. I feel like that's a great beginner thing for people to get in, play some games. But what I think is even cooler is the new social play kit. Have you heard much about that? I looked into it. I really like it. But at the same time, when I'm talking with LGS, it's like, hey, do you have a social play kit? It's, I don't think they have been distributed yet. So, so I do hope they start distributing those soon. Yeah, because I think I think this intention of that was just to have more of a... Because I got mine in not long ago, and I was reading through kind of the guidelines or whatever. And a lot of it was just for that, just for a casual, fun group to play games with, get new players in, have it just be just that. Just get some players in, have fun, and just not be overly competitive, which I think is perfect. It's, it's a good thing. Like You really need a strong casual base for a competitive base to even exist because casual players in general, they're going to reach a point that they get good at the game and they want to go like a step further with all their experience and cards that they've collected over the months or years. So I would, I really, I'm really a, how to say, like I'm really looking forward to PvE especially. <laughs> because yeah. that really takes away the, the me versus them situation but then all the other players kind of become your allies so if you have a better player in your group it's beneficial for you instead of feeling like oh man like i'm now i'm up against this uh super strong player and i'm not going to be able to win this game yeah i definitely think i mean i think it's just that sounds great where yeah you can have that one person that has all the crazy cards and then you just get a tag in help out i do think that would be very helpful um I even think UPF right now is kind of decent with that because, yeah, there's like extreme things you can do in the game, but honestly, to have a good game in UPF, you don't need much more than some commons and majestics, and your equipment doesn't have to be that insane either, from what I've played at least. So, but how is UPF like in your area? Because in my area, it's very hard to motivate people to play UPF. Mm -hmm. So UPF over here has done great. We've actually done a handful of tournaments even before the roundtable stuff was announced. Um, we started the first tournament we did. We were just like overly ambitious for sure. I was overly ambitious. Um, and we did some Yorick shenanigans. That it was fun for the first game, but after the next couple games, Yorica, it wasn't as good. So then we didn't do any more Yorick shenanigans after that. Um, but the other games that we've had, <laughs> I'll tell you what, everyone had a hoot. I'll tell you what, the first game, everyone was stoked, laughing, like the screams and like just from what everyone was saying. Just for like the silly combos you would do. Like there would be, oh man, what's he playing? This kid was playing five, but then he was able to get off a crippling crush or something. It was just something really silly. Wow. And it was just, it was so funny. Um, But I think for our tens, usually we get like 10 to 12 people for UPF. The last couple, it's just been great. We haven't done anything like extreme. It's just, hey, let's play UPF, bring whichever hurry you want. Let's have some fun. And everybody enjoys it. It's nothing too extreme. And then last night we did a UPF event as well. Speak of the Devil with um the round the table set. We did like a pre-con of that. We had 15 players and the chatter and excitement for everyone was like, it was so cool. People loved it. Um, A lot of people came up afterwards like, hey, I didn't get the other decks for this. Like this format is way better than I would have imagined. And and it was the first, it was the first tournament for some people too. So that was like the first introduction of Flesh and Blood was the UPF. 
And I think a lot of that draw was because it was Tularean Community College name was on it. They're like, oh, I like him. I like the game. Like, I've seen some about it. Let's go try it out. And it hooked at least three new people for us, which I thought was awesome. So it's strong here. And I think that's also very important. Like, I see the discussion online a lot when I mention to people, like, if, if the game is too overly complex and too overly compet- competitive. As a new player, if you join an armory event and all you do is lose every game, and then at the next armory event you also lose every game, and the next one you also keep on losing every game, there are some people that see that as a challenge, like, hey, I want to get good at this. I will I will figure out how to do this. I will figure out how to become good at this game so I can also start winning. But the majority of people that I interact with, at least, if they keep losing over and over, they kind of lose motivation and they don't really build a positive connection with the game. They just see it as a game that they're not good at and that they just keep losing And So what's the point playing? But with the round-the-table kit... I think what is good about it is that people instantly build a positive connection with the game because winning and losing doesn't really matter anymore. You're just having fun, you're playing cards, and you're just having a great time. So I do think for the, that the social play program is going to be quite impactful in getting more people engaged into Flesh and Blood. Oh, without a doubt. Well, even with how strong they made these decks, I... um. I went into it not knowing what was in my deck because I've just been so busy this week. I was like, ah, whatever, because we randomly signed. I got Ira. And the combo lines that I was hitting were just actually powerful. Like, I would feel comfortable bringing that into, like, a commoner-type format, like, downgrade a couple cards. Or even Blitz and just maybe spending 5 10 bucks. Like, the decks were strong. The Bravant was strong. I mean, even Melody. Um, <laughs> this kid, um, friend, he probably did... 17 points of damage on turn one or something crazy wow just because wow. he kept like drawing cards <laughs> copper copper he just i, mean, I don't it was like i don't remember the exact number but it was just crazy i'm like how did he just do that this is turn one and these are pre-constructed and even um the teclavasa or professor guy he had this turn where he dealt like six to each of us and something and i was like this is strong and then melody being able to incorporate with all the other heroes to give them benefits which then made them stronger the Guardian um, kid to the right of me, he got Quickens, so he just come in a Guardian attack and a Guardian attack at me. I'm like, oh, what? So I think it just helps solve that problem of playing strong decks because these are strong in that sealed environment. So, yeah. I, well, I think it's okay for a deck to be strong as long as it's fun to play against. Yeah, exactly. Like something that we've experienced locally, at least, it was like during the time when Icelander was still legal in Blitz is that people were really having a miserable time because they didn't enjoy playing against things like Frostbite. Like, they didn't enjoy just being told, like, ah, no, you, you can't play. I play. You you just watch me play. Yeah, so, I feel that. <laughs> so I do think with these strong products that it's, it's better. Like, yeah, some really powerful, impactful things are happening, but you're still playing the game. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're working together to play the game, and it's like, it's not a blowout. It's just you're able to get off fun things that are doable to get around. I don't know. I just I'm very impressed with this product they came out with, and definitely a round of applause. They they knocked it out of the park. Um, so I would have loved to see more cards though. Like okay. I I watched the spoilers for like the Guardian deck and um, the Bar deck, so I was like, oh my god, this product is amazing. It's just completely full of new cards. 
So I decided, like, okay, I'm not going to watch spoilers anymore. I'm just going to get the product, open the Ninja deck to see what new cards are in there. And there were only like three or four new cards. And I was like, oh no, why, 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 where's the rest? <laughs> what, uh, what card are we most excited for? Because I know I was actually really pumped for one card out of that deck. But what, what card are you most stoked for? And the Ninja deck, I'm mostly excited for the five for one combo card that also blocks three. I forgot the name of it. Um, but it gives. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> uh, what's the name of it again? Something. But it's. Yeah. Mal, but it's I just think. like an extra pounding gill that uh, fits into an Ira deck. So you have another card with combo that blocks well in combination with the Flick Flex. So that's the card that I'm personally most excited about in that deck. I also like the Bittering Taunts Red. Yes. I do think Bittering Taunts has a lot of potential as a red card. So. Yeah. I um that was that was a card I was most excited for. I'm not necessarily a ninja player in CC or Blitz. I've played it before. I love it. It just I don't have all the ninja cards. So I kind of have to play it. But in Commoner, Ira is my favorite. And getting a Bittering Thorn Dread for that, I was like, oh, it feels so good. So I agree. <laughs> uh, I mean, the new Mars is also quite good. It's yeah, kind of like a budget alternative for the Mars Momentum. And it, and it works, though. Like, I mean, I every game I played, I was able to get it off. And I'm sure in Commoner or any other format that you're playing with it, you're probably able to get it off. Because if you have those Crouching Tigers, if you even have just some of those, even Kadachis or any kind of attack going in, just go wide. You can get there. <laughs> um. So, I like you said, you like ninjas. You've talked about that. What's your favorite hero, if we're talking heroes right now? I think right now my favorite hero, it's kind of like a split between Ira and Katsu. Like, okay. I, I like Ira because it's simply the first hero in Flesh and Blood. But lore-wise, I think Katsu is probably my favorite. And also, gameplay-wise, I really love the whole combo shenanigans that you can fetch your combo pieces in order to finish whatever you're trying to do. So I think yeah, I, w I guess Katsu is probably my favorite at this point of time. Katsu is so cool. Uh, so fun to play. And then the art and the Mysterio border, like that just also gets me going. <laughs> oh, man. He's, yeah, he's definitely beautiful. Talking about heroes, talking about yourself. I want to know more about yourself and your channel and all the content that you create and help move the Flesh and Blood community, um, like under Kugana Gaming. I know a good chunk about it. But I want to hear it from you first, and I'll ask you some questions. Like, tell me just about yourself and the channel and so on. Well, I started covering Flesh and Blood around two or three years ago, I believe. It was in, uh, like, right after Arcane Rising came to Europe and right before Crucible of War became a thing. And I've been mostly focused on trying to optimize decks so that the newer players have a good base deck to stop playing with. So I think that's my main goal with the channel, to get as many people into the game. And I've, I've done some tier list stuff, but recently, like a lot of people, they don't really enjoy seeing tier lists in Flesh and Blood. They think it's not good <laughs> for the game. So I kind of tuned out of that content for a bit now. Like I haven't really been doing that anymore. But uh, I think we've reached a point now in Flesh and Blood that when it comes to getting a good competitive deck in general, there's a lot of venues and channels and resources out there to be able to figure out, like, ah, that's probably a good deck for my hero, especially with all the tournament uh, tournament reports we have 
nowadays so i am kind of looking like where do i want to move the channel to next maybe i'll do podcasts maybe i'll do more gameplay oriented stuff where i just explain the way that i play a deck like i made this decision because of this this and this reason but that's where i'm standing at right now in regards to the channel I'm still doing a lot of coaching. Like I have a couple of people that I coach from my patrons, which is a lovely time. We meet up several times a week to play some games and to just try new things here and there. So, but overall, I'm having a great time with the Flesh and Blood content in general. But I am doing it full time, so that's quite a financial commitment as well. Because of that, I do need to cover other trading card games as well, and. In that regard, I'm kind of wondering, like, uh, should I just focus fully on Flesh and Blood again soon? Because uh, other trading card game content can be a little bit disheartening when it comes to the actual payoff in terms of income. So I'm still a bit soul-searching in, in that regard, I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I can't argue that. I mean, on your channel, you've had a lot of videos go off that were very well produced, very well everything, and they got a lot of views from it that wasn't flesh and blood related. So I don't think anyone can bat an eye at that. That's awesome. So, I mean, I, a lot of creators go over all sorts of games. So I think that's just a common thing. I don't, I mean, follow your heart, of course, but I think you're doing great where you're at. But one thing with the flesh and blood community, which is a good thing as well, mm -hmm. like the flesh and blood community doesn't care much about editing. Mm-hmm. Like, I get the feedback a lot that people enjoy just just getting, like, a very simple deck deck where I'm just recording my browser, showing the cards here and there, and just explaining, like, ah, oh, this card is in here for this reason, this card is in here for that reason. Well, if I edit a video really well, like, fully edited, maybe even use an AI voice to make everything sound great, like, people seem to not really mind if it's not that well edited versus really well edited like the the amount of views and the amount of interaction is about the same so in that regard for content creators in the flesh and blood sphere it's kind of great that you can just do your thing and keep it simple and still get the engagement that you would with something that where countless of hours of work goes into yeah. So that's something great about Flesh and Blood. That's something you don't have with the other TCGs that I cover. Like if I put a simple video out for Yu-Gi-Oh, for example, it's not going to get any views. It needs to be almost like pristine edited. Otherwise, they don't want it. So I think we have a great community when it comes to the viewer base in Flesh and Blood. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it really just hits home with that. It's called Flesh and Blood for a reason. We're out there playing. It feels like we're with people. So it's like when we watch any kind of content, we can kind of just tap in and be like, this is just a home vibe. Like we're just hanging out, playing games, learning together. So I, I think that goes into it. I love that. Um, one, I had a good, those are my questions. Like I really wanted to ask you, uh, and you even said it a little bit. So with AI voicing, like how, I guess in like Flesh and Blood and without a Flesh and Blood, because I see you do it mostly in a lot of your other card game videos when you use the voice, how does that affect the content? Like, is that a good thing? Where does that kind of land? Well, the the thing is, because of my autism, I tend to stutter here and there. And when I'm recording a video, that can be quite frustrating, especially that there are like these, I don't know, like these little bit of mental phases where suddenly I cannot speak the way I would want to speak. 
or there is too much noise and then I get a bit overly stimulated with the noise and I cannot create the content the way I would want to. So for my workflow, having the AI voice has been kind of a blessing because That's I good. can just be like, okay, you know what? I will take my phone, I'll take my laptop, I'll go take a walk in the forest, sit by a creek and just write my script there <laughs> and then turn into an AI voice and then it makes the editing easier because I can just take chunks like, okay, this is the topic. I turned that into an AI voice and I just put the images in there and it's done. So for getting videos produced, it has been absolutely amazing. It really cuts down on the editing time. I think a video that normally takes like eight hours to edit now only takes four hours, which is, it's huge. And it gives you a lot more time to just work on a proper script that you don't keep on repeating what you've already said several times in the videos. Because I generally, when I record videos, I... I have a very bad time reading a script, so I usually do my stuff unscripted. So it's a very useful tool, but at the same time, I do notice within the Flesh and Blood sphere that people don't enjoy it. So I went back to just voicing things in myself. It was very useful during the period that there was a lot of renovation going on in the apartment block that we live in that I just couldn't record any voice-related things. So sometimes if there's a lot of noise, I still put out a AI voice-generated video just so that I can, can, can get some content out without losing like an entire week waiting for the renovations to stop. So yeah, it's, it's a useful tool. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, no, I agree. I Like you said, it's a useful tool. I think it's just another thing people can add to their suite of editing content it's like you have adobe premiere to actually make the process to put it together photoshop to make the titles and images and so on i think it just adds another piece to someone making content i like ai stuff i think it's helpful it's useful like you said it's helped you so i think it's a great thing i'm i'm usually all for anything that can help anybody create content because creating content is awesome and it's good just to communicate your opinions to other people so but another question um that i have it's kind of not kind of in the ai realm kind of not um, I've seen you animate some things before, like, I think it was like a year back or so on your Twitter, you posted like a five, you said you're working on an animate. How do you go about doing that? Uh, which one was that? I think it was Fire Rising Rebellion. Um, I was just scrolling through your Twitter and I saw it on there. It was, oh, let's see here. It was June 5th, 2022. Work in progress. Busy animating some stuff for tomorrow's spoiler video. Oh yeah, I just take like still images and then... I, I, what was the name of that program again? There's a program that lets you kind of select like areas you want to keep still mm -hmm. and then other areas you can animate and you can select like which kind of effect you want for it. So if it's like flames, for example, you can click something that, that has some heat effects. So it looks like there's like heat coming from the flames so you can oh, cool. add light effects onto stuff. And that was kind of fun to do. Like I animated a bunch of flesh and blood art that I still regularly use in my backgrounds of my videos. And I, I should probably do more of it, to be honest. I haven't done it for a while now, but but there, there are some programs for that, like that can turn still images into something animated. You can also do it with Photoshop that you kind of cut things out and you create a background and you move things manually. I used to know how to do that, but it's too long ago that it, it, it also took way too much time. Like the, <laughs> I would imagine. The, the apps where you can just like, like, ah, this area I want to have flames. Oh, this area should have some smoke. It's just much faster and much more efficient. Not that's high quality, but 
I think just have a bit of movement is usually good enough. Plus, the Flesh and Blood website has a lot of animated heroes that you can use oh, in yeah. the background. So I love using have... those. <laughs> so there are plenty of resources nowadays to have some variation in your videos in general. But uh, I love doing the little animation stuff and being able to create something Flesh and Blood related. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. No, I think it just looks great, too. I'm a big fan. Talking about, like, you know, changing up an image to make it do things. I saw... This one's kind of, like, more in the weeds. But I, I like I like talking all the fun things. Um, I saw you did an altar on a dory before. Did you ever continue making altars? I did a few that I gave to friends here and there. Okay. But I didn't bother recording it. Like, the, the altar videos, they didn't perform that well. Okay. So there wasn't really a market for it at that time. But I think nowadays, especially if you see Blackwing Studios, all the awesome things mm -hmm. they put out, and uh, like Ira of Mystery on Twitter with all the little shadow box things, that those are really cool. So I do think that nowadays there would be more of a market to do that kind of content again. But yeah. uh, I would like to make some altars. I used to do them once in a while for friends and stuff for payment for match the gathering where i make them made things borderless nowadays there's not much of a mark for that anymore because magic already creates borderless cards nowadays <laughs> but uh, yeah but making altars is a lot of fun it's 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 really a lot of fun and it can be quite simple i think that dory video i put out is just was like a sample video to show people like how easy it can be to mm -hmm. alter something but it never took off. That's a bit of a shame. So I think in terms of like creative projects and stuff like that, the Flesh and Blood community wasn't really there yet at that point of time. But I do think they're there now. All right. Well, maybe down the line you'll be able to make one and post another one. And that would be fun to watch. But if not, it's all good. I just, I thought it was cool. I was like going through stuff. I saw it on the playlist. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch that. And I actually thought it, I thought it looked great. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll I'll consider making another video of those. It was a lot of fun to make anyway. So, and nowadays, like after I moved the flesh and blood stuff to a separate channel, I don't really need to care about the algorithm and such anymore. Like back then, when I was making those videos, I was really just putting out videos that I knew would do well in the YouTube algorithm. But ever since I made the split that now Flesh and Blood has its own channel. I don't need to care about that kind of stuff anymore. I can just put out the videos that I want to make instead of the ones that I have to make for the sake of growing the channel. Mm -hmm. no, that, that and I sense. think right now Twitter is great. Like Twitter is a great middle ground where you can kind of engage with the community and still let them know like, ah, I made this video, you can go check it out on the channel. So... I think we're in a very good space when it comes to flesh and blood content creation. Oh, it's what? not profitable. Like I wanted to do this full time originally, and I wanted to be able to earn a full time living from this. That's not going to happen, at least not in the next few years, until the player base has grown significantly. But for now, like doing it as a hobby, passion project, it's a lot of fun. Oh, it's it's the best. I mean, the community is so great, like you said. Everyone just is so well connected, even like through Twitter and then into YouTube. Like it's so like in tune with each other that it does feel like you're just hanging out with a big group of friends. And I, I, I love it. I had a bit of an issue with it in the beginning. I was uh, arguing with the trolls 
I would say. Okay. <laughs> like, especially on Twitter and such. Like, if there was any negativity surrounding my channel, I would really heavily go into that. But uh, the past few months, like, anytime anyone is even remotely negative, I just blocked them. Fair and enough. And it has... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it has really made the social media experience a lot more present, let me tell you that. Okay. So if you're a content creator out there and people are negative, just block them. They don't like your channel anyway, so you're not losing a customer or a viewer. Totally. <laughs> Can't argue that. There's more interaction, I suppose. Um, anything else you want to tell people about yourself or your channels or your ambitions? Uh, when it comes to the channel itself, like one of the things that I'm currently looking into is to maybe start hosting some online tournaments again. I used to do them on the channel, like these little charity tournaments once in a while in the past, but I stopped doing those. So that's something that I am looking into that I would like to start again because it creates a lot of value for other people that are not involved in our card space as well. So that's something that I am looking into right now that might that I might have an announcement about in the near future. And other than that, if you enjoy ninja decks, if you enjoy warrior decks, then my channel is probably the place to be if you aren't subscribed already. If you want to find me, I'm on YouTube. Just type Kugani and then type FabTCG behind it, and you should be able to find the channel. There are two channels. Kugani Gaming is the one where I cover all trading card game content, but the FabTCG one is probably the one where people want to be if they want just the flesh and blood stuff. Yeah, it'll also be all linked down below. So you can type it up, search it up. You can also just click the description box. I'll have it super easy, just a hyperlink. Click it and you're there. Definitely subscribe if you haven't already. It's exciting stuff. And then thank uh, you, thank you. Twitter. What's your is your Twitter handle just Kugana Gaming as well? Uh, yes, it's uh, okay. twitter.com slash Kugana Gaming. Like I tried to keep everything Kugana Gaming. Of course, after I split the flesh and blood content away, I had to choose a separate handle for that. But Mostly when there's a social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's all slash Kugana Gaming. Awesome. Yeah, it's easy to find. That's the best way to do it. I love it. Well, I think I think I've asked almost all my questions. Um, I just really appreciate you coming on, hanging out with us, talking, talking flesh and blood, just enjoying the game and for what everything is about it. So I thank you. And thank you for waking up so early. Like I oh. know the time zones <laughs> are quite difficult to find a time that fits for everyone but uh, i'm glad that we were able to find at least some time slot where we could Agreed. have this discussion no i really do appreciate working with that um because i know remind me your exact like what city do you live in uh, right now we live in hustled in belgium okay and cool. we're looking to move soon so we will probably move either to the netherlands or some nearby city from here but oh, cool. at the moment it's hustled just to give reference to anyone listening that heard of reference that a few times that I woke up early and it's your evening. So they're over in Belgium. I'm in Montana in the States. So just, just around the world. But it's, it's awesome how we can connect. I really, I do appreciate that. Other than and that, the community is very tight knit all around the world. I yes. think at this point, almost everyone knows almost everyone. So <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's like, well, half the time I don't even realize someone's, I guess, not in my home area because I'm just like, Oh, they're always posting when I'm posting, talking when I'm like looking on Twitter. So I'm like, oh, yeah. And you come to find out they're in Australia or New Zealand or Belgium. And you're like, all right. <laughs> it's cool. It's awesome how quickly we can all connect with each other from being so far away. 
Uh, now he's got to play in the flesh and blood. Do you have any? Um, are you going to any big tournaments? I, I was going to ask you that earlier. I've spaced it. That anyone can find you at? I'm probably going to go to some pro quests here and there now that they're coming up. And in regards to big tournaments, I probably can't justify going to Barcelona this year because mm-hmm. it's quite a it's 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 expensive to go there and. They don't have any Blitz events. I think Blitz is still my favorite format at the moment. So I was a bit thinking like, man, I wasn't able to get a PTI this time around. So maybe I'll just skip this one and join next year. Totally. So I think for now, maybe some Battle Hardens nearby, some Callings nearby, and ProQuest is probably going to be it for the next few months. I mean, that's that sounds perfect. I mean, I think it's about where I'm at too. Barcelona's little expensive, really cool, but didn't make it in the books this year. But there'll be more to come, like there always is. So it's just the best part of the game. <laughs> Especially now, like in the beginning, people were complaining that there are not enough events. But I think it's not going to take long until people start complaining that there are too many events. <laughs> I like it where it is. I love the game. I love LSS. I love Flesh and Blood. So I, whatever they do, I'm just stoked to be a part of it. <laughs> it's a great game. I think this, again, is going to be sticking around for at least the next 10 years. So Easily. Yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it up. Um, so I'm gonna we'll end it here. Thank you guys so much for watching, listening, doing whatever you're doing, wherever you're finding us at. Don't forget to go check out Kugani on YouTube, Twitter. All the links will be down below. Um, we'll have another podcast coming out hopefully within a week and some change. And I just really appreciate everyone who spent time just to listen this far in, hear what we had to say, and just hang out with us. Other than that, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kugani. This was a pleasure. And until the next time, I'm sure.